going to do is we're going to cover, because um, this is a shorter class in about 35 minutes. I have to get home to light candles. Um, we are going to cover the analogy of the candle. The candle is a very powerful analogy in Chassidus. Um, and obviously in many Hanukkah discourses it is discussed. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to simply go through the analogy and try and understand it. Now, what? Yesterday's class was simple. It was so simple there was nothing to understand. Maybe. I should be a comedian. I mean, I'm a rabbi. It's more or less the same thing, right? <laughs> you know, Jackie Mason used to be a rabbi and decided he was making, he was, he, he was getting more laughs. Then why did he make more money as a comedian than be a rabbi? Um, so if I ever want to become wealthy, that's, that's the direction I'll take. Um, okay, so to make it first, every analogy in Hasidus is recycled and reused multiple times and explained slightly differently depending on what the discourse is trying to use the analogy for. So I'm going to explain the analogy um, in one way, but you will find that th- this analogy is sometimes used slightly differently. Um, and so the exact way it's explained is not universal, but I think this is like a good kind of baseline. Okay, so we have the analogy of a candle. The candle is going to have how many parts? Five. Okay, so first we have to make sure we have all the parts clear. There is the actual vessel that holds the oil. Then there's the oil. There's the wick. How many parts is that? Three. Three. We need two more parts, right? The, and what would be the, and what would be the um... oxygen? Well, if you really want to go that route, I wasn't going to, but now we have six <laughs> parts of our analogy. Wait, so, so the vessel oil, wick, flame, and, and the igniter voice. of the... And, and no, that we're not going to do. The oil of the vessel. Source of fire. <laughs> there's the oil, there's the, the vessel, the oil, the wick... The flame is divided into two parts. Oh, the halo of the wick and the... There's what's called the blue... Or what's called actually in Hasidus is called the black fire. But if you look, it's more like bluish black. Mm-hmm. And that's right right next to the wick. And then there's what's called the white fire, which is anywhere from orangish to yellow to white, depending on like how big the flame and whatever. Okay? Um, if you want, we can throw in the oxygen too. If we have time, I'll throw in what the oxygen is. It's not usually brought up. It's only brought up, to my knowledge, um, and if yeah, one one place is brought up. It's one place is brought up the, the analogy of the of the of the oxygen. It's very heavily developed, but okay, fine. Ooh, that should be off. That's not, that's not appropriate. Okay, so. We'll start with the wick. The wick represents the human being. You as a human being are the wick. So the wick could be understood as the animal soul, the body, your psyche. You know, any part of you that's part of the human being, that is going to represent, be represented by the wick. Good? Now, if you would like 
if you would like to kindle your flame, what has to happen to the wick? It has to get burned. So what has to happen to a human being if we want to have the light, whatever that light, you know, wonderful flame represents? What's going to happen to the human being? You have to burn. You have to burn. But, and this is what's important, if you completely burn the wick, what happens? No flame. No flame. So the... And if you, if you, uh, if you ever um, light with oil or Shabbos candles or Hanukkah candles, you know that there's a trick, right? Making sure that the, enough of the wick is burnt so that there's something for the flame to hold on to, but it's not actually burning up because then it disappears, right? So how, what do we have to do is kind of learn some part of the human being has to be a little bit singed, but we in general we want to keep the human being more or less intact, right? Like the wick, okay? So imagine like you get your Hanukkah menorah and you get like the oil ones and you've got these like nice... Um, pre-made wicks of cotton and you're like I love this cotton wick I don't want anything to happen to it which you're allowed to do but just you won't get any you won't get any um, beautiful Hanukkah candles that way right on the other hand if you just like set them on fire and burn them right A you're not gonna do the midst of Hanukkah candles and, and B you're gonna like be just wasteful destroy the cotton so similarly if a person is interested in becoming closer to God what do they have to be willing to do to their to their human self Sacrifice a little. But do we want to totally destroy ourselves as human beings? No. But there's a little bit of burning, a little bit of singeing. That's going to be needed. And if everything works properly, then some kind of godliness will rest upon us and it will be wonderful and beautiful. Good? All right. Now, the flame, broadly speaking, is going to be the godly presence, the, the divinity, the holiness. Okay. I'm going to come back to what that is more specifically. Remember, we divide the flame into two parts. So the idea is that you have the wick, which represents the person, and you have the flame, which represents Hashem's presence, the Shekhinah, godliness. And if you would like godliness in your life, you're going to have to, you know, sacrifice a little, burden a little. Okay. Now, what happens if you take the cotton wick and you set it on fire? It will burn, and what will happen? It will just completely burn up. How do you keep the flame there? Oil. Oil. Now let's understand how that works. How does the oil keep the flame there without the wick being destroyed? What? Nope. Yes. Oil burns. Oil burns, right? The trick is the oil is burning and not the wick. So, but now here's the question. If the oil is burning and not the wick, why do you need the wick? Right. So what the wick does is it draws the oil into itself, right? And then the burning of the wick is not actually burning the wick, it's burning the oil. But the place where the burning is taking place does have to singe the wick. Good? So what is the thing that actually keeps the godliness, the divine presence there is going to be represented by the oil. Okay. Now, why do you need a vessel? To keep it contained. To keep that. Because if you didn't have a vessel, the oil would spill all over the place. You wouldn't have the oil. So you have the vessel to hold the oil so that the oil is available to be absorbed into the wick so that what burns is the oil keeping the flame there rather than the flame just completely destroying the wick and disappearing. Similarly, in order to keep the divine presence as part of our lives, right, we're going to need this oil 
and we're gonna need something to contain the oil, to hold the oil. And then when the oil needs to be absorbed into us, and then the oil, the oil will burn, and the divine presence will be there. And um, what will happen to us as human beings? We get singed a little bit, but more or less we're still stay intact, right? Now, the quality of the flame depends on what? Other than the air. We're going to just ignore the air for right now. I said if we have time, I'll get you to the air, to the, air the oxygen. What does the quality of the flame depend on? Quality of oil. The quality of the oil. Wick. Right, so, and the quality of the wick. But I want to differentiate those two things. The quality of the oil, meaning the oil itself. Some oil burns cleanly, like olive oil, and some oil does not burn cleanly. Right? Does anyone know of an oil that doesn't burn cleanly? I don't know. I'm assuming the oils that don't burn cleanly we don't use, so I don't know which ones they are, but yeah. Some create a lot of smoke and stuff. Okay, but the wick, is it the issue about the wick burning cleanly or not burning cleanly? Like, why is cotton good wick material? It's flammable. That's not what makes it good wick material. It it's good at absorbing. Now, what happens if you use a wick that's not good at absorbing the oil. It kind of just burns yeah. itself. It burns itself out and produces a lot of smoke, right? So what I want is, that, in other words, like this. The, 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 the thing that I need for the oil is how cleanly it burns. The thing I need from the wick is how well it absorbs the oil. Make sense? Okay. So as a person, going back to the wick, the wick represents us as a person, we need to be willing to be singed a little bit, right? Whatever that means. And we also need to be good at absorbing the oil, whatever the oil is, right? If you have a nice container of oil and you stick something inside that's not good at absorbing the oil, right, and use that as your wick, it's not gonna work very well. So what are the two things as a person we need to have? We need to be willing to be singed, willing to sacrifice a little bit, and we need to be good at absorbing the oil. Right? Having the oil depends on the vessel, but the having is not the same thing as absorbing it. Okay. Good? Okay. What's the vessel that holds the oil? So the wick represents us as people. What is the vessel that holds the oil? Nope. It is a structure. Halacha. So it is living according to the Torah. When we live according to Torah, we have the vessel that will hold the oil. What happens if we don't live according to the Torah? What happens to the oil? It spills all over the place and we don't have any much of it, if at all. Okay. Now, remember I said this analogy can be explained in many different ways? We're gonna focus specifically on the analogy where we're gonna talk about our experience of things. Right, you can also do this in terms of like fundamentally, just like the reality itself, is God present in the world or not? We're gonna talk about our experience. Yes? Did we see what the oil is? No, I'm gonna do that last. <laughs> what is the flame? So the flame is going to be our experience of God. That's the way we're gonna do it in this analogy, our experience of God. But now how many levels are there to the flame? Two, okay? 
that means how many kinds of awareness of God can we have? Two, right? Now let's think about the differences between the two different parts of the flame, and that'll help us give us some kind of a sense of the difference between two kinds of awareness of God. So number one, the, remember what I called them black fire, black fire and white fire? That's what they're called in, in the Hasidic texts, but it's more like the bluish stuff. Okay, so where is the black fire relative to the um, wick? Close. Close, right? It's really, it's really like literally where the, where the wick is, where the black fire is, right? Where's the white fire? Is it actually in the same space? Or is it kind of hovering over the blue fire? Hovers over. Yeah. Okay. So that's difference number one. The black fire is actually attached to the wick, whereas the white fire just hovers over the black fire. Okay. Which fire actually illuminates and sheds light? So have you ever like played with a, with a candle and you could just get some as you can get, it's not burning properly, you just get that blue fire? Does, does it shine light? No. No, it doesn't illuminate its surroundings. It's the white fire that illuminates the surroundings, right? So, the white fire, it's detached from the wick and illuminates the surroundings. The black fire, it's attached to the wicks and does not illuminate the surroundings, right? So what does that tell us about these two types of awareness of God? There's an awareness of God which is very integrated into our human experience, but it does not illuminate our surroundings. And there's a type of awareness of Hashem, which is kind of transcendent beyond our human experience, and it does illuminate our surroundings. There's a type of awareness of Hashem, which is very much connected to our human experience, like the black fire, but that does not illuminate the surroundings. And then there's a type of awareness of Hashem, which hovers over that, it's beyond that, and that does illuminate the surroundings, but it's not really so connected to our regular human experience. Okay, now let's do one other important difference. If the black fire, right, that blue burning part, does that really need the oil? And if so, why? You have a wick, you light it, and it runs out of oil. What's going to happen to the black fire? It stays kind of low. It stays kind of low. Will it, will it stay there for a long time? No. No, either it'll burn up the whole wick or it'll just go out, right? Okay. What about the white fire, though? So, again, if you ever do play with, the, with wicks and oil, what you'll notice is that if the, if the wick is not drawing enough oil... You'll get the blue fire. You get enough to maintain the blue fire, but you don't ever develop that white fire. You can watch if you look and sometimes you'll see sometimes it, it hangs around for a little bit and then it starts to flow better and then the flame gets bigger. And the quality of the oil really affects the quality of that flame. If you use poor quality oil, right, that white fire is not going to develop very nicely. So whereas the black, the, the black fire, the blue part of the flame, it depends on the oil just in order to exist, but its quality is not really contingent on it. The, the, the other flame, the white fire, really depends on the oil, such that the if you have better quality oil, you have a better quality flame. And if the oil, and the oil really needs to flow through the wick well in order to have that. So what does that tell us about this awareness of God? That lower level awareness 
do you really, you need a little bit of oil to maintain it, but that's it. Whereas that higher level awareness needs high quality oil to really flow through, the, through you as a person, whatever the oil is, in order to have that higher level awareness. Last but not least, and we're gonna go back over all this again and make sure we have all the details. Can you have the white fire without the black fire? No. But can you have the black fire without the white fire? Yeah. So you can, it's not possible to have the higher level awareness without the lower level awareness, but it's possible to have the lower level without the higher level. Okay, so let's go through. What are the differences between these two kinds of experiences of Hashem as seen in the analogy? Number one, the lower level is very connected to our human experience where the higher level is transcendent and above our regular human experience. The lower level experience does not illuminate our surroundings. The higher level does illuminate our surroundings. The lower level has a dependency on the oil to continue to be present, but its quality is not really dependent upon the oil. Whereas the higher level, the higher quality oil, the better it flows, the better that higher level awareness is. And lastly, you cannot have the higher level without the lower level, but you can have the lower level without the higher level. So, good? What is the lower level awareness and what is the higher level awareness? So we're gonna use the example of love of Hashem. It doesn't have to be love specifically, but love is a, this is very into love, as a kind of central thing, so we're gonna talk about love, okay? When I love somebody, that means I have a sense of them and a sense of wanting to be close to them. That's what all love has though. If I don't have a sense of them, I don't love them. If I don't have a sense of wanting to be close to them, I don't love them. That makes sense? Okay. Why should we love Hashem? Why should we love Hashem? No one has any good reasons to love Hashem. Okay. Maybe we shouldn't love him. Just as an act of obedience. It's very devout of you. Does that usually work if someone just comes in as a matter of like authority says, I command that you love me. Like, well, okay, now I'm in love with you because you commanded it. That, that. Maybe to have a better connection. We said that but if I want a connection with him, doesn't it already mean that I love him to some degree? Yeah, but it's just a higher quality. So, but why would I want to love? Why should I love him at all? Gratitude. Gratitude. Gratitude because he created me. I mean, that presupposes that like I like my life, right? But <laughs> what? Okay. I'm already close to Hashem. Hashem is the only one who gives us love and value. Okay, we can we can broadly give any take any reason for loving Hashem and put it into one of two categories. You love Hashem because of the role he plays in your life, whatever that is that makes him seem lovable and desirable to you. But what's the problem with that kind of love? No, 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 no. That's not the problem with that kind of love. Why not? Because if you don't like how he's playing his role, it means you don't understand how the role he's playing. In other words, when people are angry with Hashem, which is a legitimate thing to experience, um, 
that has a lot to do with the fact they just don't understand what's going on. Right, but you're not. But your lack of love is not because of what he's doing, but because of what you understand that he's doing. Those are two different things. Isn't that how love works? That's true, but it. But that's not the problem of love. That's the problem. Of, it's, Any, anything that we experience that's based on our understanding of reality is contingent that we're understanding reality correctly. So it's not a unique problem to this love. It's just like, like, like if I'm mistaken, I'll be mistaken about anything. If I'm, it's a problem to how you're experiencing love. That's true, but it's not a But I want to say, what's wrong with loving Hashem because of the role he's playing that's unique to that issue of loving him because of the role he's playing in my life? Not what's, what's the problem with having any experiences based on my understanding that they're limited to my understanding, which may be flawed. Like, I recognize that is a problem, which is not a problem unique to this. That's a problem that's universal to any human experience. You could be wrong. What's wrong with loving someone because of the role they play for you in your life? Because you love not like the God himself. You don't love their role. You don't love them. That's right. You don't really love them. You love the role that they're playing. You love something about them, not really them. This is not a hard idea to have a sense of. It may be hard to articulate in very formal, you know, philosophical terms, but I think it is a very intuitive thing. There are many people that we like, we want to be around, and as we become more mature, we realize that on some level, like, it's something about them rather than them themselves. Right? Okay. So here's the thing. I'm going to do a mitzvah because I love Hashem and I want to be close to Hashem. In my mind, who is Hashem that I want to be close to him? Is he the one who is so wonderful because of X, Y, and Z that is so important to me? Or is my loving Hashem that has nothing to do with that? Am I loving Hashem because of something that he, that for kind of who he is, what he's about? Which kind of experience am I having? Now, as a human being, what's the only way you can love God? No, that's not the only way you can love God. Love God. The only way you can love God is because you appreciate the role that he plays in your life as a human being. Now, your ability as a human being to love someone else, people don't like to hear this, but it is true, is limited to yourself. yourself. What role do they play in your life? That determines the kind of love you can have for them. So as a human being, I, can I really love Hashem for who Hashem really is? No, you love what Hashem does for you. I love what Hashem does for me. And that could be very deep and very profound and very spiritual and very meaningful and even very holy, but it's still not really loving Him. Now, here's the thing. When you're loving somebody, anybody, do you stay entirely intact or do you have to get burned a little bit? I got burned a little bit. Why? Because it involves sacrifice. Why? Because it's a two-way relationship. It's not just the way that you revolve, they revolve for you, but also the way you revolve for them. Um, maybe. That's, that is often the case, but I don't want to actually talk about something more specific, just on the one-way thing. Just your love to them. Why does your love for them involve sacrifice? Forget the reciprocal part. Are you talking about this human love? Yeah, human love. All love. There has to be place to hold it. What? There has to be place to hold it. In them or in you? In you. In you, right. And that place 
take sacrifice. Why? Because if you're not creating a space for it to exist, then... Okay, so if I love pizza, do I have to, like, do the same thing? Does that involve sacrifice if I love pizza? If you're loving it, you're going to sacrifice. What? Then you love people according to their rules. One second. The question is, what is love then? Ah, so here's the thing. <coughs> loving someone for the role they play doesn't mean I love the role. I, love, I still love them. So this is a very subtle point, okay? Um, let's say you're... Go to your grandparents' house and they're celebrating their anniversary, Right? And your grandmother, your grandfather gives a speech about how much they appreciate the other one for all the different things that they do. Does that mean that they're objectifying them and saying, oh, I don't really care about you at all. Like, you're just like a cog in a wheel. All I need is for you to like do X, Y, and Z, and that's all I care about. Or are those things that this person does, the channel, the vehicle, the vessel, the way that, you know, one grandparent has come to appreciate and value the other person and really want to be part of their life. So much so that even if they wouldn't be willing, able to do those things anymore, they would still be important to them. Right? That, that's loving someone, right? You know, I don't, if I have a business, I don't love my employees. I'm using my employees and like compensating them because you can't own employees anymore. So, you know, used to be able to own employees. We called them slaves. You can't do that anymore. So you have to compensate them. Okay. Right? I don't, in other words, to love means to relate to someone else as a someone. Not as a something. But still my sense of who they are comes through the role they play. Do you understand? In other words, like if I, love, if I love somebody because of what they do for me, it's not just that I'm not loving them. I'm not even loving, I'm not loving anything at all. But if I'm loving somebody, if I'm loving somebody based on what they do for me, then what they do for me has given me a sense of them and I've learned to appreciate, to see the value in them, the goodness in them, and that's what I love. I don't love, I know they're not a means to an end, but I still have a limited sense of them. So if I were to love, for example, so if I were to love a teacher, let's say, my love for the teacher is not, I love learning and this person helps me learn, so therefore I love them. That, that's, that's not really loving them. It's that through teaching me, I've gotten a sense of who they are and how they're a good person and how they're a valuable person. And so I love them. And even if for some reason they couldn't teach me anywhere, I would still love them. But I have a very narrow sense of them. I'm loving them only through the lens in which they're a teacher. Right? Even when they're no longer able to teach me, I still love them as my teacher. teacher. I, don't, I don't know them beyond that. I don't have any sense of them outside of that. I hate to break it to you, when you get married, as much as you're going to love your spouse, you will not have any sense of them other than? In fact, every person, we more or less just have a sense of them in that way, right? So, so if you love Hashem because of the role that he plays, it's not just you love him, oh, because he's a means to an end. No, I really love him, but my sense of him is that he is the provider, the source of meaning. And, and even if he doesn't give me those things when I want them, that doesn't mean I stop loving him. It means, okay, we have a, you know, for whatever reason he's not doing that, I don't know why, but I still, I still care about him, I still wanna be with him because he is those things. But I have no sense of who he is beyond that, outside of that. If Hashem never created the world, I still have no sense of what that, what he, who he is and what he's about on that level. Now, can I have a sense of that? Well, you can as a Jew. Right. So now let's go back. Well, not exactly the Torah. So let's go back. So 
that wick has to be singed a little bit because you have to realize that you're not the only someone here. You can't love someone when, or when you're the only someone in your life. If I treat other people as objects in my own mind, I don't love anybody. Does that make sense? So I have to, I have to burn a little bit. I have to like, make that space that, yes, there is someone else. But my sense of who they are is, is the way they feature in my life. And I have to be willing to like make space for that. But now if I want to have a sense of, of Hashem as he truly is, I have to have something that goes totally beyond me. Now, if you were to have a love Hashem because of a sense of, of who Hashem really is, that would be very hard to, to make sense of in human terms. It would be very hard to articulate to someone else. This may be, in fact, why we use an analogy of a flame to describe what we're talking about because it's very hard to explain what it is. Now, how do you get that flame? You need the oil. What's the oil? So oil has a very interesting property, which is that oil allows itself to be totally burned without producing smoke, without producing a sound. If you have good quality oil and your wick is absorbing it properly, what happens? The oil just silently turns into flame. And what's left of the oil? Nothing. Nothing. Does the oil make any noise announcing that it's doing it? Does it resist it in any way? So what is the oil? There's a word that shows up in Hasidus a lot. And it's a noun. And people don't necessarily know how to translate this noun. Does anyone know what this noun is? Bittel. Oil is bittel. But it's a substantive thing, right? Just like oil is a thing. Why is oil bittel? Because the way Hasidus looks at the oil is the oil is the flame that has not yet become the flame. And it just, it, the word bittel literally means, to not, it means nullification, right? To not to be. What is the oil? The oil is something that is perfectly fine not being itself in order to become the flame. So you do Torah mitzvahs, you live according to the Torah mitzvahs. You have this vessel and it's full of oil. oil. What is the oil? Bittel. But if that bittel can flow through you as a human being, what happens? You can make space in yourself to first off being aware of Hashem as someone who's very significant in your life. That's the black fire. And if the bittel flows through you and it's what ends up happening, not just you have a sense of Hashem as someone who's very significant to you in your life, but you have a sense of the true significance of Hashem as he transcends time, space, creation. And that's when you shine godliness into the world. Now, is it enough to have a big vessel if it doesn't have oil in it? No. Is it enough to have a big vessel with oil if the oil doesn't flow through the wick properly? So a lot of what Hasidus is talking about is how do you make sure that your vessel has oil in it? How do you make sure that your wick allows oil to flow through? How do you make sure that the oil is, how do you make sure that the oil that's flowing through the wick is actually burning? And not just burning on that lower level, but eventually gets to that higher level. Right? And if it all goes smoothly, it's all very beautiful. But what happens, for instance, if your wick is wet? It's got water in it. No 
So what happens, you have a person doing a lot of mitzvahs, and these mitzvahs are full of bittel. They're learning a lot of Torah, and the Torah is full of bittel. But they live a self-indulgent, egotistical lifestyle. And then they try to reflect on God. Will they ever have a sense of God? The lower sense? The higher sense? What if the wick is made of a material that allows the oil to just kind of drip through just a tiny bit at a time? It's too, it's too rigid. Can they get a little bit of that black flyer? Sure. Will they ever develop that white flame that hovers over it? No. So this, this analogy is to understand that, that developing the sense of Hashem, right, there's different components. You need something to hold the bittel in your life. That's the living according to Torah mitzvahs. But then you also need to be able to absorb that bittel into your life, right? That's how you live your life as a person. You need to make sure that bittel is actually being cashed out as an awareness of Hashem. That's through the prayer and contemplation. And you can have one type, you can have another type, and they, they don't play the same role. Okay. Now, I did say at the end, I will talk briefly about the, um, the air. Yeah, what is the air? Without the air, what happens? No flame. No flame. The air represents your free choice to put effort into the whole thing. That with that, in other words, the, what kind of an environment, what kind of space do you need to be in, in order for a flame to... to, to, to to rise up and to burn smoothly and cleanly, you need to be in a space that has clean oxygen, right? What kind, of, what kind of life do you need to be living? What kind of space do you need to be in in order for this all to work? A space where you take responsibility for yourself and put in the effort to make things happen. If you're waiting around for someone else to do it for you, it's like depriving the whole thing of oxygen. So if someone claims to say, I don't have this sense of godliness in my life, right? Is it obvious on the surface what the problem is? Maybe they're not living according to our mitzvahs properly. There's nothing holding the oil in place. Maybe they don't. Just, maybe the whole way they're doing to mitzvahs doesn't bring out the oil to begin with. It's it's an empty vessel. Maybe they have a lot of the oil, but it's not being absorbed properly. Right? Maybe their wick is has a bunch of other stuff in it, like like it's filled with like indulgences and ego and all these other stuff that's blocking things out, right? Maybe they're not doing the work to properly attend it that the small flame, the small black flame turns into a big white flame. Maybe they're depriving it of oxygen, right? So this analogy is understanding that, that producing this one phenomenon, which is a genuine awareness of Hashem and a desire to be close to him, not just because he's significant to me, but because he's truly significant in his own right, there's a lot that goes into that and different things play different roles, right? And it's all ultimately about the, 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 the bittel represented by the oil turning into an awareness of Hashem. But there's a lot of things that can, that can make that not go properly. And so analyzing that analogy helps this person understand what's the issue, why is it not working, what's the problem. For instance, what happens if the flame is flickering? I didn't mention this, right? You could have the flame, but it keeps flipping, jumping up and down, right? So that's got something to do with the way the oil is going through the wick, right? Also, you notice that you could have a smaller flame which is stable and a bigger flame which is less stable. Similarly, you could have an, this awareness of Hashem which kind of comes and goes almost arbitrarily, it feels like, because there's something wrong about the way the oil is flowing through the wick, that the bittles coming through the person's life very sporadically, not consistently. And so they experience these waves of this deep inexplicable awareness and connection and then like total nothingness. And then you could have a person who like, it's not like that, it's very stable, but it's just smaller. 
You have a person who their awareness of Hashem gives them an insight and awareness to life and what life is really about. And there's another person that it doesn't. It just makes them feel very committed to their Judaism, nothing more than that. There's a lot you can pull out of this analogy. Um, and if you stare at your Hanukkah candles, it kind of gives you something to think about while you're looking at them. If you find the act of sitting and staring at Hanukkah for a half hour boring, you have something to do in your mind. All right. So that was easier than yesterday, yes? What? Arguably it was harder because today you have to understand something. Yesterday it was harder.